In this episode, Kate Perry, a chartered accountant and partner at RBP, is joined by Alan Cook, one of our senior tax managers. They're going to be discussing the tax consequences of a hospital consultant undertaking work within private practice. Also, issues surrounding the NHS Pensions Annual Allowance Tax Charge. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP, one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Hello and welcome to this episode of Accountancy on Prescription. Today I'm going to be speaking with Alan. Hello, Alan. Hello, Kate. And we're going to be talking about being a hospital consultant. So two things we're going to be considering are when a hospital consultant might be looking at starting a private practice and how they're impacted by the NHS pension. So, Alan, we get quite a few potential clients calling us and saying, I want to set up a private practice. Should I set it up as a limited company or as a sole trader? So what do you normally say to them? Yes, Kate, we do often get asked about how a consultant should set up their private practice and whether that should be within a sole trade or indeed a company. I generally ask them two questions when they ask me this. One of the questions is, or the first question is, do they need all of the money from their private practice to fulfill their financial obligations? And the reason why I ask that question is purely because if they do need all of the money to be taken out of the company, then the tax burden will be roughly the same as if they were running it through a sole trade. And therefore, having a limited company in the background probably wouldn't save them any money unless they wanted to keep some of that money within that company. So that's one of the reasons why I often say to individuals, you need to think about what you need. If you need all of those funds to fulfill your financial obligations, for instance, pay your mortgages, pay your expenses that you may incur on a monthly basis. If you do need all of those funds, then a limited company is probably not right for you. If you don't need all of those funds, then you may want to consider a limited company. I think the other thing that we need to mention that is an added cost to setting up a company, of course, is actually the accountancy costs of running the company and the added complications of running the company and that it's a separate legal entity to yourself. So there are added burdens and added costs of running a company. So you shouldn't just take the tax implications of having a company. It tends uh, to be around about three times more expensive to administer a limited company than it does to have a sole trade. So those costs need to be taken into account if you do choose to have a limited company. The second question I always ask as well is if you're looking to try to have more borrowings during the course of the next couple of years, for example, so if you need to have a bigger mortgage, through a limited company route, that money goes into a company. And if you're not planning to take that money out, as a dividend or a salary, and we'll come on to that in a moment. But if you're not looking to take that money out, that level of earnings won't be taken into account when you're looking at multiples for your borrowing purposes. So some have a tax consequence. The second question is more of a practical issue. So if you're looking at getting more borrowing or having more borrowing in the next couple of years, I wouldn't always suggest that a limited company is the best route for you either at this present moment. You can incorporate at a later date, but you may choose to say as a sole trader to have that as a multiple for borrowing purposes. 
That's quite a good point you've made there, Alan, because quite often when I speak to consultants, I might say, well, if you're not sure how the private practice is going to go, how much earnings, because running it through a limited company, sometimes it's not really worth it in any case, Mm -hmm. unless you're going to earn a significant amount of money. So quite often, if people aren't quite sure, I tend to suggest they start off as a sole trader. And then at any time, we can then incorporate that into a company at a later stage when more earnings are being taken by the company. And of course, if personal circumstances have changed and they're in a better position where they might not require all the funds uh, that the company makes. They can always convert into a limited company at a later date. So, you know, maybe new consultants don't want to be a limited company to start with, but at a later date, that can happen. So it's not a problem. You don't have to rush in to have a limited company. So that can be done at a later date. So, Alan, if let's say they choose the sole trader route and not the company, we know that obviously any additional profits they earn, they'll be taxed at their highest or what we call the marginal rate. So we would assume in the main that would be 40% from maybe a more junior consultant, possibly rising to what is now continuing to be the higher rate at 45%. Correct. But if they choose a company, how is this taxed? So if they choose the company route, it's not charged to income tax, it's charged to corporation tax. And the current rate of corporation tax is 19% for profits up to £50,000. Any profit over £250,000 is going to be charged a corporation tax rate of 25%. And anything between 50000 and 250, there will be a sliding scale basis so that they'll be taxed at a certain level between 19% and 25% based on the level of their earnings. Right. And if I did want to take money from the company, how would I choose to do that? Because there's two routes, isn't there? Either a salary, perhaps, and or dividends. Correct. So the main ways that individuals can take profits or income from a company is either from a salary or a dividend. Now, a dividend is the main route that people withdraw the income from the companies. And the tax rates on those are very much dependent on the level of the earnings the individual has. So basically, a basic rate taxpayer will be paying 8.75% on their dividends. A higher rate taxpayer will be paying 33.75% on their dividends. And an additional rate taxpayer, those individuals earning over £150,000, will be paying dividend rate of 39.35%. Now, this is subject to change because, of course, we're going through a stage at the moment where we have a new prime minister and there will be an additional budget. So these rates could change in the near future, but this is what we believe they will be for the foreseeable future. And we don't think that particularly likely. This isn't something that they're probably looking to That's unlikely to change. change. Yeah, They've changed a number of other things, but this is unlikely to change. So the other question I know we do get asked a lot is, can my spouse or children be shareholders and can I share money from the company with them? Now, what sort of answer do you give on that, Alan? Because that is quite a complex question to a certain degree. It is a very complex question and I don't think that we can cover it all in detail here. But generally speaking, I would try to avoid children being shareholders. I don't think that's necessary. But certainly a spouse could be a shareholder. I always have the thought process that if the spouse is doing some work within that trade, in that business, then a shareholding would be appropriate. 
But I would never suggest a shareholding of 50-50 between a consultant and a spouse unless they are both consultants in the same field of work. I think that if the spouse does do an element of work, I think a share split of 80-20 in favor of the consultant would be a sensible route. But anything higher than that, the revenue may raise questions. You know, that's the sort of level that I would suggest, perhaps 80-20. Yes. So we've got to be quite careful about how dividends are shared within a company because, of course, there is a risk that it could look like income shifting. So shifting income from a higher earning spouse to a lower earning spouse. And we know that HMRC are starting to look at those sort of areas. So we do need to be careful about that. I think it's a very good idea to be conservative in this in this area. And if not all of the income possibly should be the consultants, but if a spouse does do an element of work, then I see no reason to have an element of the shareholding. But by and large, the consultant, the main consultant should have the majority of the shareholding in any company. Yes. Okay. So that's getting money out of the company. So what about expenses? Because obviously that's quite a consideration for when you run a separate private practice. What expenses generally would you expect a consultant to have for his private practice? So the private practice will be the same expenses will be allowable, whether it's a limited company or a sole trade. So the typical expenses that I would expect them to have would be their professional subscriptions that they will be paying anyway. Any theatre costs that they may, if they're operating, any theatre costs that they may incur, any admin side of things, any secretaries that they may have, any admin support. Those sorts of things are allowable for tax purposes. And of course, a consultant can also claim for the travel that they make as well. So if they're traveling to various different locations to undertake the work, then the traveling expenses are allowable for tax purposes. And that would be whether you're a limited company or a sole trader. And that would also be whether it's in your own car or public transport. So those expenses are allowable for tax purposes. That's right. So We perhaps ought to refer people to the podcast we did fairly recently regarding company cars, because we do cover an aspect of having company cars or running your own car with your private practice and the private element of using a car. So people can go through to that. So should we talk about pensions? So I know this is a hot topic. There's been a lot about all the extra tax, the additional pension tax charge that both GPs and hospital consultants are now having to pay. And this, of course, depends on their level of earnings as to whether they have a tax charge that will arise. So perhaps you can give everyone an idea of what we're actually talking about and encompassing what we call the annual allowance tax charge and how that all works. Sure, of course. So around about October every year, I understand that consultants receive the brown envelope on the doormat. And it's not just the revenue that use brown envelopes, it's NHS pensions as well. So I understand that the annual allowance statements have been frequently coming through. And this may give alarm bells to some consultants, given the numbers that are involved. So an annual allowance charge is based on whether an individual exceeds the threshold of the annual allowance during the course of any tax year. Now, the growth is dependent on many, many different things. It's dependent on the level of earnings. It's dependent on whether you've jumped to pay grade. It's also dependent on inflation rates as well. 
So we may find in the next couple of years that consultants do tend to go over the £40,000 threshold. And this is in the two schemes that consultants may have. It could be in the 95 scheme and the 2015 scheme as well. So if an individual goes over the threshold limits, they need to consider whether they have a tax charge. Now, when taking into account the tax charge, we need to consider whether the consultant has any unused relief brought forward from the previous three tax years. So it's always good practice to understand where you are now and where you were three years ago. So you can understand whether you've got any unused relief brought forward and whether that could be used first if you have an excess against any exceeding of the threshold. So it's a good idea to get hold of that information and figure out where you're at. That's right. And of course, we have available the new pension report so that any clients who are wishing to have more detail, maybe those nearing retirement who perhaps need a better handle on exactly where they are with their pensions, and any of our clients certainly could contact us if they would like a new pension report, as that gives much more detail as to where they are and give them an idea of that. Absolutely. So if an individual has a tax charge, they have two options. They can either pay that tax charge themselves, and that should be reported on an annual tax return, or they can elect for the scheme to pay for it on their behalf. Now, the problem with the scheme paying that on the consultant's behalf is that there's always going to be a downside to the consultant there will be a reduction to the benefits that the individual will receive in the future. So if they do choose to have a scheme power election, they need to take some proper independent financial advice before doing so. There is a reduction to their pension benefits at a later date. However, we do tend to say that very often the inflationary increase to the pension and the guarantees probably outweigh the scheme pay election charge. And of course, in 2019-20, the government did agree to pay for those additional tax charges. And we don't know whether they might choose to do that again in the future. Personally, I think that may be unlikely given the costs involved, but certainly that's something to look towards. So maybe scheme pay elections are often for most of our clients, we find is the best way forward for them yep. because most people don't have several tens of thousands of pounds hanging around to pay this extra Correct. tax charge. But it's good practice to make sure that you understand whether you've got any unused relief brought forward Absolutely. And, to, and to review on an annual basis because there's some horror stories out there that we come across. Yes, that's correct. So, Alan, we probably ought to mention that we have already done an NHS pensions podcast. So anyone wanting some more information or a bit of an overview about how the NHS pension works, they can listen to another podcast on accountancy on prescription, which is the discussion between Jenny Stone and Ollie Newing, who is a financial advisor. Okay, so I don't think we've got anything else to say about pensions. And I think perhaps we'll leave that there. Hopefully you all enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please like and subscribe. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The 
contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to accountancy on prescription.